Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Welcome to episode 29 of Citizen Dame, the podcast that discusses everything good, bad, and... What the hell did I just watch in cinema? Um, as always, I am Kristen <laughs> Lopez here this week with Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hi. Karen is uh, cheating on us with another podcast right now, so I'm so upset right now. I know. The nerve. I know. How dare she? So that means we can talk all sorts of crap about things she loves. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Tom Cruise has a unibrow. I mean, she can't edit that out. <laughs> Anyone who says no one likes exactly. Tom Cruise really just lying. Not it's just false. Oh, Karen's gonna tag me back hard the next time on the <laughs> podcast. Anyway, uh, we got a lot of stuff on the agenda, um, including some reviews at the end of it. So let's just jump into things. Um, where do we want to start? Let's get the garbage men out of the way, because it's Sounds not a like day a that ends in Y, unless we have some dickish asshole who's doing something horrible to women, correct? Yes. So, this week, yep. um, actually, this is something last week that I forgot to add to the agenda, and I, I think me and Lauren felt strongly enough that we wanted to bring it up this week. So, or at least I did. Um, BuzzFeed had an article, um, discussing about, um, the quote-unquote relationship it's not a relationship um uh, it's essentially grooming a small chi- a child to you know be the girlfriend of a pedophile um if you loved ren and stimpy i hate to burst your bubble um because buzzfeed's article pretty much accuses um the creator of the show whose last name i can't pronounce but i'm just gonna go with it uh john crickfaloozy um, who was having a relationship with a 16-year-old girl, um, and there are several, uh, a couple women that have come forward that said that they were groomed, essentially, and offered jobs and internships and animation if they dated him. Um, it's a pretty horrible article. Yeah. What I find even worse is that this was considered, quote, an open secret, that they even documented in a book about the making of Ren and Stimpy, where, like, the guys are just, like, joking that, oh, yeah, he had a 15-year-old girlfriend. R- really? Really? I, I, I was not, I think we all talked about this off-air. We're not big fans of, we weren't big fans of Ren and Stimpy growing up. At least I wasn't. I certainly wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for me, it always seemed, you know, it was considered the inappropriate show that you weren't really supposed to watch. And watching it now as an adult, I was like, yeah, this comes from the mind of a bunch of, like, white guys who think they're really fucking funny and they're not so i i was never a big fan of it but now it seems that there were definitely ways that he was manipulating situations to be around young girls you know he he worked with miley cyrus on a tour um he's animated stuff on the simpsons and once again it's just another person that supposedly people knew this was a thing and they didn't do anything about it well, yeah, that's what's, I, I agree with you. That's one of the things that's so disturbing about the article is that uh, the number of people, and even, and they talked to, um, the reporter talked to several men who were working in animation at the same time, working in the, in the same studio. And 
we're, and basically the one guy is like, I made a major error. I did not do anything about this. And part of it was because this guy was kind of untouchable. And it was this cult that I think they even mentioned this cult of personality around this specific artist. Like you, I don't particularly get it. Uh, I remember watching Ren and Stimpy once or twice when I was a kid, and my parents actually stopped me because mm -hmm. uh, their and their reason for it was because it was gross and uh, they felt it was incredibly stereotyping of Mexicans, which it is. Uh, not that I understood that at the age of you know seven or whatever, but the. But yeah, just everything that is surrounding these guys. And I mean, the, the one girl, she began communicating with him when she was 13 years old. So yeah, there's he be he began oh, grooming. Well, I, I was just gonna say he began grooming her for a relationship and being and like inserting himself into her life at a very young age. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, if you if you read the article, there's a history of disturbing letters and AOL chat transcripts back when that was a thing. Um, he flew these girls out to Los Angeles. Um, I mean, and, and you, you never want to say like, where's the parents in those situations, but you do have to ask, like, it was, I, I don't want to say it's a different, it was a different time, but I still think people are really just kind of dazzled by the fact that like somebody is taking an interest in their kid. You know, and, and is giving them an opportunity to do something that could be really yeah. beneficial in, in the industry. But there's never been a positive story that I've seen that involves that idea. So I'm just starting to think it's all bullshit. It, it's definitely, I mean, it, it opens a big question. And the second that an older man is showing a great deal of interest in the, the career right, of a teenage girl, mm -hmm. that does begin to raise red flags. And I mean, you, you don't want to start going into like, oh, the parents should have stopped him. No, he should not have been in a position where right. he had this degree of power. I did, right. I did it, find really interesting in the, the article, um, one of the things, because there's been a lot of talk about like, well, these girls entered into a relationship with these men and, and they got something out of it. They got careers out of it, right? So he got what he wanted and they got what they wanted. There's been kind of that uh, that attitude has been reiterated a couple of different times, usually by men, but every once in a while by women. But I, one of the things that one of the girls said, or who's now an adult, uh, she said, I became a better artist by working for him. I'm not grateful for it. I wish I hadn't. I wish I were a worse artist now and I didn't have all this bullshit to deal with. Yeah, and, and that always irks me, you know, the concept of, well, she got something out of it. This is a child that was being taken advantage of whether there's a rate a pot of gold at the end of that quote-unquote rainbow or not it, it's still that's like saying you know some girl got married at 13 she gets a husband and she has security and she never has to work again but you know she also got married off at 13 i mean that's kind of the mantra i always seem to think of when i, I think there's of, an age of consent for a reason exactly exactly you don't have children engage in banking transactions you don't have them get a job at 13 there's a reason for that and and there's a reason why they're they're not given those things because they're not emotionally mature or understanding about any of that mm -hmm. so so yeah that's just that's a bullshit argument i think we oh I'm, i hate to turn i mean i hate to turn it to this but i mean the fact that people are even still apologizing for it or making excuses 
the news media grilled Roy Moore for the same exact thing. It has been and always will be wrong. Yeah. And they need... It's... I can't believe people are even coming out and trying to excuse away it that, you know, oh, at least they got careers out of it. It's disgusting. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you look at some of the articles and uh, the quotes from these young girls at the time, you know, the one girl who was 14 wrote in her diary, he's never perverted. He is also very nice. And I think that that's still the mentality that we see with these situations. He's not overtly sexually harassing me. He's very nice about it. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure, you know, that's, once again, that's, that's the concessions that we make as women. You know, that's the, well, you know, it's, it goes back to, and we, we'll talk about this in a second, that gray area that we keep talking about now with, with men assuming, well, you weren't held down and raped. Yeah. So therefore, it's not that bad. Well, it, it, <laughs> it's, it, it's this whole thing also of, um, when you're when you're a, when you're a teenage girl and you've got this man who is this talent this is someone that you admire this is someone that you like and he wants to be your boyfriend and that's the way that he's presenting it this is like oh this is so exciting i'm an adult now you know that i i'm a grown up mm -hmm. person and first of all you're not and you don't you don't realize so she probably definitely did not realize that there was anything wrong in this because it was so exciting because it was so like, oh my God, this incredibly talented, brilliant man is in love with me. You know, all of those, those things that, that girls tell themselves. And you even saw this with um, uh, when all of the Kevin Spacey stuff came out. You saw this with uh, one of the young men who talked about having a relationship with him. And it was the same attitude. It's just like, you don't think I'm a teenage girl and there's something wrong that an adult man is interested in a 15 year old. You think, oh, I'm such a big grown-up, and this this gorgeous man is in love with me, uh, and that's that's what these guys prey on. They, this is abuse. These men are abusers. Period. Mm -hmm. This is illegal. Exactly. Yeah. I I mean, once again, I can't believe that we have to discuss this. <laughs> like that, this is a thing. Um, speak and the fact that all this these years later, yeah. it's still and the cult of Ren and Stimpy has lasted for so long. Well, and I think it's it's also interesting that this comes right around the same time that Dan Schneider, who was the creative um, guy at Nickelodeon, who made all of the the shows that you probably know growing up, like like The Amanda Show, and he did iCarly. Um, all, he was recently let go from the company. Um, and the rumors that I've always heard on, on various sites um, that I, I trust that deal Hollywood news is that Dan Schneider has a long history of, of similarly inappropriate relationships with young girls and that these, or Nickelodeon was trying to get out from under that. Nothing has come forward, of course, and I, I don't know if we'll ever see anybody. But again, it makes you look back at those. The, the creation of Nickelodeon was, is a, kind of an anomaly in, in television. And I think that you had a, a television show with a lot of young children, unsupervised, with a lot of young adults who were in their early 30s, late 20s. And, and I, I'm surprised that more stuff hasn't come out from that time period. Uh, Hopefully, that's not to say, that's not to say anything should. I don't want to jinx it. But I'm very surprised that, like, this is the first thing that we're seeing now. Um, moving along to people that need to stop talking. So, you might remember Kenneth Lonergan as the guy who made Manchester by the Sea. <sighs> he, he got Casey Affleck that Oscar. Uh, well, 
apparently somebody asked him, or maybe he just started talking about it. I don't know. He was speaking to Variety. Um, and he said uh, that he su- fully supports the Me Too movement, but that he's not happy with how Casey Affleck has been treated by it. <sighs> he says he's uh, Casey Affleck has been quote treated abominably in the Me Too era, but he wants to reiterate he couldn't be more all for the Me Too movement, and I couldn't feel more strongly that he's been treated abominably. It's not good for anyone. So that is the weirdest quote. I couldn't be more for Me Too, and I couldn't feel more strongly that he's. Oh, wait, so there's no comma in there. Well, there is a comma in there, but are you saying that the two are mutually exclusive or not? Like, I'm very confused by what he's saying. He supports it, and also this movement that I support has blackballed my friend. Which, nobody's saying that that's happened. It's not like Casey Affleck's really hurting. He He's only saying he support. He likely is only saying he supports Me Too so he doesn't get in trouble. Either that, or I'm thinking he's saying, I support Me Too, but every bitch that talks about Casey Affleck being you know, who he is, is wrong. Yeah, I think... All you bitches don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. You don't know. I, I, I feel like that's probably the kindest interpretation we can put on it. Uh, uh, well, and, and once again, I keep saying, I think I've been saying this every time we bring up Casey Affleck and somebody rushing to his defense. What does he have on you? Like, what? why do we go to bat so heavily? Well, I don't want to say we, because I'm not a part of it. Why do these guys go so, I mean, if they're going to defend anybody, why is it always Casey Affleck? Why? We know... That's, that's what I, I want to know. We know what he did. There are depositions that detail what he did. I honestly believe it's because the assumption is these women took settlements. Mm-hmm. That's it. These women took settlements, ergo, they're a bunch of lying whores who accepted, who, you know, totally made it up, and therefore it's not true. It just be in it for the money. Yeah, I, I think there's there's also an element underneath all of it is that well, other men do this, but not my friend. And right. and that's that's I again in the kindest interpretation. Um, it's like well, but but no, Casey is always respectful of women. I've always seen him being respectful of women. He's a nice guy. He's this. He's that. And so you're like well, so he's my friend. He's always been nice. I've always seen him being nice. So I can't possibly imagine that there would be another side to him. You saw that with um, uh, with Lena Dunham and and her defense of I think it was one of the writers on Girls. It was the same attitude of like, well, everybody, yes, I support I support this movement, but this what's being said about this one guy who happens to be a close friend of mine is incorrect. And I I get that because you don't want, either if you're male or female, you don't want to sit around imagining that one of your close friends or someone that you spend a great deal of time with could also be an abuser. But that's very often what they are. Someone can be, Casey Affleck Affleck could be lovely to Michelle Williams and to Kenneth Lonergan and to all kinds of other people and still have been abusive to women. Yeah, I I just, I don't understand why out of... The litany of, I don't even think people defend Mel Gibson this vehemently. Like, I just, I don't understand. We're all gonna, we're, the hill we want to die on is Casey Affleck. Well, really? Casey Affleck, like it or not, is connected to Ben yeah. Affleck, who still has a reputation. And Ben Affleck's cachet ain't that great either, Backtat. <laughs> I mean, come on. I think there's just, it's that, the history of that town is a fear of pissing off the wrong people. 
Okay, and I say this as a reformed Casey Affleck fangirl, okay? I would, I was ride or die back in the day, okay? And now I'm just, like, sickened with myself. If I can come to grips with that, anybody else can. Um, See, I will say, I didn't even like him in Ocean's Eleven. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, there, I would have, I would re- recommend you movies if I didn't hate his stupid face anymore. Um, he's a good actor, you know, yeah. he is, he is definitely he's, a good actor. He's been in some great films, he's given some great performances. Uh, he's he's also a creep. Exactly. The age-old mantra. You can be a good actor and still be a lecherous piece of shit. Um, that's gonna be on our t-shirts if we ever, <laughs> if we ever make We have that. a lot of t-shirts to make. <laughs> we have a lot of t-shirt ideas. We do. We, we gotta start writing these slogans down. Uh, moving on to CNN and our old buddy Steve Spielberg. You remember uh, Steve. Why Steve? He made Ready Player One last week and we talked about it i still don't like it so (laughs) steven spielberg was talking about indiana jones and and where the franchise could go from here and that he was totally open to letting a woman play the role with a caveat he says quote we'd have to change the name from jones to joan and there would be nothing wrong with that Steven Spielberg doesn't know how names work. <laughs> so what you're saying, Steve, is that Jones is his first name? Is that what we're saying? Is that what we're saying? So, so Indiana Jones, Indiana is just superfluous, and Jones is his first name. His name is Henry Jones Jr. That no, is his it's name. Not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's Jones Henry Indiana. I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, if names mean nothing anymore... We're just going to start jumbling them all up. India, I'm just trying to picture Indiana Joan. I just want to, like, that makes me sick. <laughs> That's, hey, I don't even know where that quote came from. It's like, was he, he must have just been joking around with an interviewer he, and someone took it in context. I, I guess the son was asking him about whether he'd be open to the concept of a female Indiana Jones. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Well, and I mean, and that's been, that was an old topic of conversation. I remember before the piece of shit that was Crystal Skull, I remember some brief talk about wanting to make Natalie Portman his daughter. And then it became Shia, it became Shia LaBeouf and his son. It's like, there's... (laughs) And that worked out so well. Uh. I would, I would go see, I would be so behind a female in that role. That, I, I've wanted that for 20 years. But they need to stop touching and this (laughs) makes me angry so i have a couple issues with the quote because a other than this is like i it's like it's like a batch it's like a chipettes factor like we can't just call them something else they have to have ets at the end of it so that you distinguish that they're lady chipmunks um lady indian hashtag chipettes forever though so because they're my favorite (laughs) um but so so you have that but the way I internalize this is that Spielberg's trying to piss off the men. He's saying, well, we can't have Indiana Jones because we'd have to call her Indiana Jones. I'm okay with that. But hopefully you fanboys will get so uptight about it and you'll just scream all this shit about how horrible it is that we'll just never do it. Um, and And my whole thing is like, it's, it's the Ghostbusters conundrum. Yeah. You know, it's that whole concept of Steve, you didn't have to say anything. You didn't have to say that that we would need to change anything. You could have just said there'd be nothing wrong with a woman playing Indiana Jones. End of fucking sentence. End of sentence. 
No, you cha- you talk about how we'd have to change things so that all the politically correct mouth breathers, like who are like, oh, fuck political correctness. We have to change our Indiana Jones to this. Don't touch my child. Exactly. Again. So you're just <coughs> automatically stirring the pot so that you don't ever have to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of my my antipathy with it. And and I know people go back and forth on well, why do we need to have Indiana Jones? Why can't we just write? female adventurers and do our own thing and we have tomb raider and my argument is no fuck that if we want if we want a woman to play indiana jones we should be able to okay you know what indiana jones a is not sacrosanct doctor who now a woman can be indiana a woman jones. can be indiana jones really what is indiana jones okay indiana jones is just a fedora a doctor and a gun i mean really okay Y'all want to talk about something to get up in arms about, and we'll talk about it in a second? Talk about how Spielberg and Lucas originally envisioned Marion. Oh, yeah. 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 Don't see you (laughs) all up in arms over that, but you guys want to complain about Indiana Jones. Let me jump into, in terms of, you know, all the outcry that, you know, of a woman playing this character. How about let's talk about the fact that they're going to do another one. And that Harrison Ford will be pushing 80 by this point. Well, my argument to that, when (laughs) when I was arguing with somebody about this yesterday, I was like, well, you know what? You fanboys can have your wish. You can have Shia LaBeouf play Indiana Jones, and then you'd have nobody to blame but yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I I do almost feel like some of these discussions, I think you're right, Kristen, that, that some of these discussions are like Spielberg and, and directors like him passing the buck essentially like being like oh yeah this is this is someone else's problem now you know i mean yeah like with all the ghostbuster stuff and i remember early on when people were talking about oh it could be all female and they're just like oh no their boobs wouldn't fit into the outfits they're just like what the hell like in what (laughs) world do you think that breasts would not fit into jumpsuits i don't understand have you really not played with enough (laughs) once again men just don't seem to understand how names work and how clothes work or breasts. It must be or... very hard. It must be very hard to, to get up every day and like put your pants on around your massive penis that apparently can't be corralled. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how clothes work anymore. Uh, I mean, if we're all going to talk about how we don't know how things work anymore, I mean, maybe that's what we should be doing. Writing how men apparently deal with their day because it's just so different from ours. With their gi- gigantic send- books, yeah. <laughs> Please send all comments to not me. Uh, <laughs> so moving on to uh, some fun, let's move on to some fun stuff, um, or at least stuff that I won't like want to hate myself for. So you might recall Ryan Murphy uh, is moving on to his next project, which is going to be another season of Feud. It's going to be about Charles and Diana. I, w- once again, words have meaning. And I do not believe that Ryan Murphy knows what the word feud means. Because it wasn't a feud. It was not a feud. It was a really ugly divorce in which we all knew who to blame. Okay? <laughs> Just saying. See, I'm surprised he's got courage to tackle another season after the Olivia de Havilland stuff. Oh, I, you know, I think that just galvanized him. I think that just made <laughs> him believe, you know what? Nobody's going to stop me. Yeah. I'm going to say that Princess Diana had two heads. You know what? Nobody's going to say anything. Uh, I don't know so, whether you want to fuck with the royal family. That's all I gotta say. Oh yeah, yeah. The, 
you're you're you will be dealing with the future king of England in this series being a huge dick. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he, although Ryan Murphy has come out and said that he feels it would be inappropriate at this point to do um, the Monica Lewinsky scandal, so I guess he's not doing that That's anymore. That's nice. I'm glad Check. for that. I was it's, like, God, Ryan, you're so like you're so magnanimous. Like, thank you. Oh my God. Um, anywho, so going back to this, um, but we have our Charles and Diana, and somebody got an upgrade. Okay, so Rosamund Pike is supposed to be playing um, Princess Diana, and Matthew Good is gonna play Charles. Now, I don't know if y'all have seen pictures of what Charles looks like or looked like. It's not much different than now. Um, but he didn't look like Matthew Good, like at all. So somebody got hit with a pretty stick in uh, in in the grand transition to screen. Um, and I hate Ryan Murphy now because I'm gonna have to fucking watch this series because I love Matthew Good. Like I keep saying why he was not a bigger thing because he's adorable. But I don't want to watch this because words have meaning, and this this is just gonna be more pandering. Ugh. See, I am truly surprised because every other, there is an actor who is a clone. He has played Charles, he has played, he's in The Crown, Alex Jennings is always the go-to guy when they need Prince Charles or anyone in that family. So I'm truly stunned they went with such a pretty actor. Um, and supposedly the other thing that kind of leaves me scratching my head is this is going to start with their divorce and the series is going to end with Diana's death. Now, I'm sorry, I'm bad with math. Wasn't that a long fucking time? 92 to 97. Really? God, it felt Would like be. forever. She um, they divorced, I'm not relatively sure, in 92. Oh, God, where have I been? That seemed like it took, like, decades. Huh, okay, well, there goes just, there goes that, that bit. I told you I'm not good at math, okay? <laughs> um, so, it, I, I mean... We all know how it ends. Um, it's going to be really sad. But I, again, how is this a feud? How is how do you end a series with her death, which we all remember, and then be like, it was a feud? No, Betty and Joan was a feud, okay? This was... It'll be... It'll be Charles going, at least I've got Camilla. <laughs> exactly! Like, yeah! How is that not going to end with you just looking at... Like, no, a feud implies both people are in like there's logic behind each of their arguments it's petty and all that stuff none of this was petty none of this was i, I there's not a both sides argument to this for me i i just i don't i don't want this to exist it, but it will i can see where they're gonna go it's not i don't think it's gonna be in any way a fun yeah. viewing it's that's just going to be a downer pretty much from start to finish. Yep. Um, I'm good. I, I still have, like, three episodes of Versace to finish, which I'm all for, because it is, like, American Psycho meets Mardi Gras, and it's amazing, but I don't think I'm going to have the same sentiments for... I, I didn't care for Feud Season 1, um, because, again, I know history, and, yeah, to say that Ryan Murphy plays fast and lose with facts is an understatement, yeah. so... I don't think I'm going to be pleased here as much as, I, again, the Ryan Murphy stands um, say it's awesome. So I still I still support Olivia de Havilland. <laughs> exactly. We're Team Livy. We're Team Livy on this show. Okay. Um, so moving on to uh, some trailer talk. So three trailers came out this week, um, all of which range from, like, what the hell is this to I don't want to see that to fucking Terry Gilliam. Um <laughs> 
And I know I'm cursing. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I know that I'm cursing such... a lot this episode. Ooh. I have a lot of pent-up aggression. So um, we're going to start with the, the least, of, like, the least, <laughs> I don't know, the trailer, the trailer that I know is not going to really inspire much response from any of us. Night School. So this is the new Kevin Hart movie with uh, Tiffany Haddish. And it follows uh, a group of troublemakers forced to attend night school in the hopes that they'll pass the GED. It looks okay. It looks like a Kevin Hart movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's really all the excitement that we could really muster. I mean, that's all the excitement I, I could muster. I like, I like Tiffany Haddish. I, I think I literally said meh when I was watching yeah. it. I, I like Tiffany Haddish. So I'm, I'm happy to, to be... To, to watch it for her but yeah it's it seems like a very kind of middle of the road you know comedy that's about it yeah it's it's directed by malcolm d lee who did girls trip so if you liked girls trip and you liked tiffany haddish then you'll probably get about the same response well that that at least gives me hope because he should at least i mean and because i will admit i have not seen girls trip and i struggle a bit with tiffany haddish i haven't quite you know found it you know i haven't seen the movie she's known for yet but it, hopefully they at least use her right because my thought watching that was you know is this gonna be you know her stuck in a kevin hart vehicle exactly yeah tiffany haddish is one of those i feel like i see her in a lot of stuff now and i i have not seen girls trip um my mom did and she said tiffany haddish was about the most memorable element of the movie for her so i mean i, I she's in everything from the looks of things so I'm interested to see how how her career progresses if she ever tries to kind of break out of the the girls trip mold or not. But you guys, got to see girls yeah, trip. Uh, <laughs> you gotta see girls trip. It's on HBO trip. Go. I I know I have no uh, excuse. It's available now. So maybe maybe that you know I'm not gonna say Patreon perk anymore because y'all seem to do it when I say something. <laughs> so um, so yeah, that com- night school comes out September 25th. Uh, moving on to the next trailer, uh, you know, we're going to save Gilliam for last. So uh, the next trailer we have is How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Um, this is the new movie by John Cameron Mitchell, who did Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And it's about a, a young man who meets a group of aliens who are, I guess, living in 1977 London. And one of the aliens, played by Al Fanning, and him go off on this adventure. I did not know what to expect from this movie. I've, I've been very excited about this, even though I know the reviews out of the festivals for this were awful. But I've, I've been vaguely interested in this, mostly because Nicole Kidman's playing a 1977 punk alien. <laughs> that just sounds so exciting to me. And I watched the trailer, and it definitely has a, a spirit to it, like a fun, crazy insanity. Um, I don't know if it's, a, it's supposed to be nightmarish or not. Um, I love Elle Fanning. She's so beautiful that I just want to cut her hair, but I, I don't because it's so perfect. And I mean, it's got it's got Nicole Kidman, it's got Ruth Wilson, it's got people I like. So I'm hoping that maybe it's one of those movies that I will be the only one that likes it and no one else will. I don't know. Um, what did you guys think of it? I, I was underwhelmed by the trailer. And, I, and as soon as I said, like, the, the directors and then Neil Gaiman is also involved in it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I'll go along with that. And then I saw, like, the actual meat of the trailer, and it looks 
it looks like a second string Edgar Wright movie. Like that was the first thing yes. that that just popped. It looks like you know end of the world or something like that. But there's also this whole element of like, oh, these aliens who don't understand things about you know sex and love and oh here's this kind of loser punk boy who's going to teach this sexy alien about sex and love and i'm like oh my god why why is this the fantasy why do men fantasize that aliens are going to come to earth and the and the major thing that they want to do is just is be attractive women who want to fuck you like i don't get it i don't fucking get it i'm so tired of this Okay, because they have a hard time getting their massive penises in their pants. <laughs> so all the only person that can handle that is an alien that's hot. We duh. We Earth ladies can't handle yeah. the massive, mm-hmm. you know, their Bowie bulges. Yeah, exactly. Come on, Lauren, get with it. Um, yeah, I love that the two alien narratives we get. I've been watching a lot of unsolved mysteries for the last month, but I love that the only yes. alien narratives we get are sexy alien that strictly is hetero and wants Mandy. Or alien that Uh-oh. wants to stick something up your butt if you're a dude. Like I love how men are both attracted. Like they're they're Wait, you know Kristen. they're like no they're no homo for for aliens. But if they were a sexy alien that wants D and is not trying to put something up their butt, they're okay with it. Star Trek. <laughs> 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 uh, they want the Star Trek fantasy. They want to be Captain Kirk. What I think funny because i was thinking of lauren when i was watching this because i was thinking of earth girls are easy Uh which is a movie that i have not seen but i know it and yeah i was like why are there no alien narratives about for women like well that's what earth girls are easy is it's about sexy man aliens coming down from the stars and wanting to to fuck women like yeah but is that the only one we're ever gonna get ever starman Oh, I don't know what that is. Star, uh, <laughs> it's a movie with Jeff Bridges. He John, plays an alien. John Carpenter? Yeah. Am I right? Oh, okay, so is it like, wait, is it hot Jeff Bridges? Yeah, it's like, like hot, 19- young Jeff Bridges comes down to Earth, and I forget who the woman is in it. Um, uh, I might have to add that I'm to go- the Netflix queue. <laughs> I'm going to IMDb. Uh, Karen Allen. Okay. Karen Allen is is like, and basically they, they fall in love, and there is a very hot sex scene in that, so... So there are definitely the female fantasy, uh, hot, sexy male alien movies. But those are very few and far between and very, usually it is not about the woman teaching the men how to love or how, or what sex is or anything like that. There isn't this like educational, oh, he's so naive and I have to show him everything. That seems to be a very specifically male fantasy. There you go. Um, so How to Talk to Girls at Parties opens May 25th. Um, and then the last trailer we have is the movie that we have been talking about uh, for the last couple of weeks because we all know Terry Gilliam should not be alienating people that would go see his movie. Um, <laughs> We're giving this movie far too much attention by the look of this trailer. I know. Um, so <laughs> the man who killed Don Quixote is actually a thing. It exists. Um, we got a trailer for it. Wouldn't it be hilarious if it, like, really sucked? Like, at, like 30-some-odd years of his life that he's devoted to making this movie, and it's not good? I still don't believe it exists. Like, I, I think that this is just a massive troll. This is like Andy... It's- Andy Kaufman is actually Terry Gilliam, 
And this <laughs> this whole thing has just been a massive 30-year-long joke. That's what this is. I don't believe it exists. I was thinking exists. it's, either, it's I, either that or it's like the day the clown cried. It's like, it, this is oh in God. the vault of the Library of Congress with the Jerry Lewis movie. Um, so I, I wanted to like... That I mean that cast I I love Adam Driver I you know Jonathan Price has done nothing wrong in my book I love that guy I I struggled with that trailer I struggled hard well the thing that I was confused by and and it's been a while since I've I've watched Lost in La Mancha but I always thought the movie was supposed to be an average guy who's brought into the world of Don Quixote. I think that that's what it is. He's sort of... Well, the way I interpreted the trailer is now that Don Quixote's been brought into the modern world. No. Because the other characters are talking, like the girl and all of that, are talking modern. I think... It has also been a long time since I watched Lost in La Mancha. My understanding from Lost in La Mancha was that it's it's just the the, the one... The Adam Driver character who is zipped in time or in space or whatever, however you you're going to interpret it to the time of Don Quixote and he runs and he runs into Don Quixote but I'm not entirely clear I agree because there were also like wind turbines <laughs> exactly that's what I was very confused by so I, I I'm not really understanding the narrative regardless um Jonathan Price looks like he's going to be about the best Don Quixote we can get yeah. um Adam Driver looks fun. Uh, it's it's funny that they filmed this so early that he doesn't have his Last Jedi body. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's really all we get. I mean, there's there's really nothing else to the trailer that's there except uh, everybody saying in little words that it's like a masterpiece and it's going to be awesome. Um, to uh, to read the IMDb synopsis, an advertising executive jumps back and forth in time between 21st century London and 17th century La Mancha, where Don Quixote mistakes him for Sancho Panza. Huh. Okay, so none of that seems very clear in the in the grand scheme of things. It's not. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I mean, it looks okay, um, but much like the other side of the wind, which is the Orson Welles movie coming out. I, I I feel like Schadenfreude would be really nice. So, what if it sucks? The Orson Welles movie is not going to be good. I, I people keep on talking about this, and I have to say, I I have seen sections of that film. We watched it when I was in an Orson Welles class, like the original stuff that was that Welles shot before it was all put together. It is not going to be a good movie, guys. Everybody needs to get off of this whole, like, oh my god, a new Orson Welles movie. Just like, no, it's going to suck. It's going to be interesting because this is the last thing that he made and it's finally been all put together. But it is not going to be good. Like, just accept it. Yeah. Um, Regardless, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote does not have a U.S. release date. That's why you don't piss off people with your stupid asinine comments. But... It's expected to hit in Germany, at least, at the beginning of September. So, yeah. God, I'll be so glad when that movie finally comes out and we can all find another project that's been, like, gestating for 30 (laughs) years to get excited about. So, let's move on to um, some discussion. We have a lot of discussion-y things um, that we wanted to talk about. So, this came out uh, a a couple weeks ago, and it looks like it's quieted down a bit, but we still wanted to talk about it. So, um, if you didn't know, a couple weeks ago we talked about how um, they were creating a site called Cherry Picks, 
was um, being founded that was going to be the female-led version of Rotten Tomatoes that was going to showcase women writers. Well, supposedly there is this back and forth going on right now between the head of Cherry Picks, Miranda Bailey, and uh, predominantly writers, uh, uh, female writers of color. Um, she put put out uh, a tweet a couple weeks ago. Does anybody have the exact tweet? She deleted the tweet. Okay, uh, so she deleted the tweet. So the the original tweet that Miranda Bailey has since deleted, and well, I think we should also probably talk about her justification for deleting it. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about all uh, of that. Uh, this is what she said on April 3rd, 2018. This is coming from the Mary Sue. The people screaming on social media about the Roseanne reboot that are trying to make the creators or fans feel bad about it scare the hell out of me. We are one step closer to artistic censorship from the exact population who should be protecting artistic freedom. So. So, yeah. Um, and, and a lot of, of female writers of color asked her for clarification. Yeah. And she demurred for several days before finally coming out with an answer that I don't have the exact answer in front of me. So I'm trying to remember what she she said. I think it was more along the lines of that that wasn't what she was saying. Um, like she wasn't she wasn't against criticisms of the show. It was more people that were asking that the show be canceled. If if memory serves, that's how she she was responding. And I, I still think that misses the point. So the way, and, and I mean, we've all argued about what the tweet implied to us. Lauren, what did you think she was saying about well, my, with her tweet? My understanding from that initial tweet, and uh, by the way, I do have the, the second, her second response. Oh, yes, um, yes. Uh, here, here. Go. We'll start, we'll start, read, read a response and then go into what you were all thinking. All right, so the, the second response that after, basically, Bailey deleted the tweet... Um, after a number of people, including myself and including um, Valerie Complex and a number of, of writers of color uh, ask, asked her about it. We're like, what the hell is going on? Um, she deleted that tweet and then posted a day later, for my followers who have been upset and misunderstanding my tweet about the Roseanne show, going even as far to suggest that I'm racist because of it, which is absolutely insane, or called my opinions, quote, dangerous, I have decided to delete the tweet. And in parentheses, she wrote, censored at last. Okay, so that that was her response. She never answered any of the questions that were being asked, which was, and and some of them were very you know straightforward. Like, do you are you talking about that? Are you saying that people criticizing the television show is tantamount to censoring, to censoring it, to censoring the artist? Are you to, like who are you talking about? Are you talking about the people that? are saying that the show or the or Roseanne herself should be taken off of the air because of the perspective uh, and the political views held by Roseanne. What are, what are you saying? She did not clarify it. She just said, you misunderstood. Um, now I'm being censored. I'm not a racist. What I think, I think the tweet is, and, and maybe this is just the, the problem with having such a, a limited amount of time and wanting to put out something concise. But yeah, it, it is confusing whether she's talking about nobody can talk bad about this at all, or, or it's considered censorship, or, or what. That's what I was really hoping would be clarified. Because as the, a person who's going to be running a film criticism website... I was like, so essentially, are we not allowed to criticize a, sh a movie or a piece of media for being racist or sexist or or something? You know, 
how much is personal bias of the founder going to play into what is posted? And that's a very valid criticism and that's something that I think needs to be clarified either, you know, by her or on the website saying, you know, you can write what you want. And I mean, the the women of, specifically the women writing about Roseanne from the angle of Roseanne being a racist, that's, it's going back to our discussion with, with Kenneth, about Kenneth Lonergan. So we can't bring up every time we talk about Casey Affleck in a movie, how his presence is horrible to look at because of what he did. We can't bring up in a Roman Polanski movie about what Roman Polanski did. So if your argument is separate the art from the artist and we can never bring it up, that's really defeating the point of, of film criticism and, and looking at film as a dialectic of our culture. Well, I, I do, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm kind of of two minds on this because I, I've been for a very long time, I felt that you do need to, to degree at least in, in criticisms and, and especially in analysis. You need to be able to separate, you do need to be able to separate the art from the artist and to say, we're going to look at the film, the piece of art, the, the work, on its own terms and analyze and understand it on its own terms, which isn't to say that you completely ignore the existence of the artist, but you know, so we do need to be able to do that on. So there there's that compartmentalization that I, I do think needs to happen. The other, one of the issues that we're having with Roseanne and then we've also had with people like Woody Allen is the degree to which the artist inserts themselves into their art. Right. And this is this is coming mm -hmm. up uh, in specifically in relationship to Roseanne because she's been such a public figure, and the character that she plays on the television show has been so heavily associated with her public persona. Right from the beginning of the TV show back in the 1980s, it was her comedy, and her right. uh, her attitude and her jokes that really drove the meaning of the show. So it, you can't separate Roseanne the person and the comedian from Roseanne the character because they are so close to one another. That being said, I, I have to say most of the criticisms that I have read about Roseanne, the television show, have been fairly balanced. They've said, here are the things that the show does right. You know, and here are some of the arguments that, is, that it makes, and here are some of the really disturbing aspects of it and why we need to be questioning um, specifically, like, you know, the fact that, that Roseanne, the person, and Roseanne, the character, are both Trump supporters, yet for some reason, yet also support, you know, their, their black grandchildren or a transgender child, right? So it's, it's very complicated. One of the things that I'm bothered by about, I'm sorry, I'll just keep on talking. Uh, one of the things I'm bothered by about Bailey's tweet and about her subsequent sort of, passing off of it is that because she never clarified that the way that it read to me was you are not allowed criticizing the television show Roseanne is tantamount to censoring Roseanne period and that's not true now I can say I don't like the shit that Roseanne says I don't like the fact that she dressed up as Hitler and and took photographs of uh, like baking people in an oven that is fucked up and the fact that ABC doesn't seem to have been bothered by that and has brought this television show back, that's something we need to talk about. Like, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Well, and it doesn't help to ABC, if anything, you know, okay, fine, we don't want to, if, if your argument is, you know, and, and you're being 
being Miranda Bailey's argument is, is that we can't criticize Roseanne, well then we can criticize ABC as a network because they're still on the fence about re-upping something like Fresh Off the Boat, yeah. which is the only Asian uh, family that, show. That's what I was just going to say. They That is, I think, the sticking point for me is that, you know, they're throwing, you know, but they threw, what, another season at Roseanne already, but Fresh Off the Boat's been such a success, has been such, you know, and they're pausing on that. And have they, I read somewhere, and I forget where, I unfortunately forget where I read it, it's been a struggle, Blackish has had to struggle. Yeah. Right, right, they had no problem. for renewals. Well, and, and also the story just came out a couple weeks ago that ABC had no problem telling Kenya Barish, who was the creator of Blackish, that he couldn't do an episode about kneeling during the, um, exactly. the national uh, anthem at football games. He couldn't do that episode. They literally told him they weren't going to air it. So, really? That's, again, the hill you want to die on about how Roseanne is being censored. But you have this story about a African-American-fronted show created by a, a black creator who could not air an episode. Could not air that it. That is I actual... Mean, there was, that's the thing. That's actual censorship. Me criticizing yes, Roseanne yes. and saying I don't like what the show is representing or I don't like what the creator is representing doesn't change the fact that Roseanne is on television. A network choosing to censor an episode, basically saying we will not air this episode because of its political content, that is censorship. That's what censorship is. Uh, right. Every, and every, gave... single, every single piece of art that we produce has some political connotations and we've you know, you, you talk about it. I, I talked about on Twitter that um, it's very important to, like, watch some of the uh, some of the media that was produced during World War II on both sides of the Atlantic, both in America and in Britain mm -hmm. and then also in Germany. Because a lot of the shit that was produced in Germany is not, is propaganda, but it doesn't look like propaganda, right? It's... Lenny Riefenstahl. Well, yeah, Lenny Riefenstahl and yes. um, there were... Some and there were stuff, and there but, yeah. there were a number of uh, comedies and musicals and dramas that were produced during just prior to uh, World War II and then during World War II in Germany and you watch them and they look like Hollywood musicals like and then you realize just like oh but the Jew character is the villain right but the, it's it's how they were banging there how they were hitting their message exactly so you know that's what propaganda looks like and that's what so the the idea that that there is no political content to a show like Roseanne there is political content and it's deliberately political content now we can argue about it but we have to be able to talk about it. we have to be able to criticize it that's the critic's job yeah and and i think to say that it's it's laughable that Roseanne immediately got picked up through season two, supposedly because ABC said, quote, wanted to cater to red state markets. Like, really? That's... Those those numbers were huge. Yeah. Those numbers were scary. I, I still don't understand why. But I will also say, full disclosure, I've never liked Roseanne. I didn't watch it. I didn't like it in the, you know, the, the first run. Well, my... So I have not watched it in this run. My, the, the sad thing is, is that my, my family watched it back in the day and it was progressive in yeah. terms of of how it looked at certain things like homosexuality and it, you know if you uh, i think somebody put on twitter a bunch of gifs that were showing roseanne as a as a progressive sitcom and now that roseanne is 
at least able to demand what her writers are writing, it's totally undoing everything that the show used to represent back in the day. Yeah. So I was the kid watching Frasier and Murphy yeah, Brown. <laughs> I loved the original show. The original show was was uh, actually a very understanding and loving depiction of the white working class, and and it's a, it's all the things like workplace harassment. Yeah, and sexism, I remember that. Yeah, and um, you know, re- and real problems that that were actually dealt with with humor, and with intelligence, and and also with with a bit of drama and so it's very disappointing to see it go that way yeah so moving on um there was another thing that was going around on twitter um because vulture posted an article um written by uh, Jor- uh kyle buchanan and jordan Cru. oh my gosh cruciola i hope i didn't butcher that last name um where they looked at 50 famous female characters and how they were described in their screenplays and that led to a lot of people on Twitter trying to describe themselves as a male author would describe them. Um, so I thought we'd discuss a couple of these because some of them are good. You know, they, they include um, the one for, the one I like is uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, the, the introduction is, the girl walks briskly up the block in her low-cut evening dress. We get a look now at her for the first time. For all her chic thinness, she has an almost breakfast cereal air of health. Her mouth is large, her nose upturned, her sunglasses blot out of her eyes. She could be anywhere from 16 to 30. As it happens, she is two months short of 19. Her name, as we will soon discover, is Holly Golightly. You know, the, there's another one um, that describes Nora Charles that is pretty much... The Nora Charles one was great. Uh, here, Kim, do you want to read that one? I don't have it up. Oh, I have it. I have it. I, um, so the it's for the thin man. Uh, it says, Nora Charles, Nick's wife, is coming through. She is a woman of about 26. A tremendously vital person interested in everybody and everything, in contrast to Nick's apparent indifference to anything except when he is going to get his next drink, there is a warm, understanding relationship between them. They're really crazy about each other, but undemonstrative and humorous in their companionship. They're tolerant, easygoing, taking drink for drink, and battling their way together with a dry humor. It's not even really describing the character, it's describing the relationship. Which I really, really like. So then you get to some of the bad ones um so which of course they don't have really uh, so so they have some of the bad ones um this leads to the the discussion that i was talking about earlier with steven spielberg um and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second but i think the worst one has to be tarantino's <laughs> do we all agree survey says the worst one is tarantino's. oh god yeah so I'm going to read James it. James Cameron's is pretty bad, too. Okay, so I'll yeah. read both. I'll read both. And then the listeners can decide which one sounds more reprehensible. So this one um, by Tarantino is for Death Proof. It's the radio DJ played by um, Sidney Poitier, uh, the daughter of Sidney Poitier. So um, it says, a tall, maybe six-foot Amazonian mulatta goddess. Oh my, oh, my God. I don't know if I can get through this walks down her hallway dressed in a baby tee and panties that her big ass, parentheses, a good thing, spill out of and her long legs grow out of. Tarantino doesn't know how bodies work. <laughs> um, her big bare feet slap on the hardwood floor. She moves to the cool rockabilly beat as she paces like a tiger, putting on her clothes. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, yeah. So then you also have James Cameron. He wrote uh, about the the description he wrote for Zoe Saldana and Avatar. 
Draped on the limb like a leopard is a striking Navi girl. She watches only her eyes moving. She is lithe as a cat with a long muscular with a long neck, muscular shoulders, and nubile breasts. Dude, never use the word nubile again, please. And she is devastatingly beautiful for a girl with a tail. In human age, she would be 18. Okay. So I'm not- He wants to fuck her. Let's put out the obvious. <laughs> let's point out the obvious thing. White men describing black women. Yeah. As animal-like. Like, there are like three different references to anim- different animals in that, that um, death-proof description alone. So- really let's let's compare that those two with with a white guy writing a white woman which is like margot robbie and wolf of wall street it is a two sentence description we see naomi 24 blonde and gorgeous a living wet dream in la perla lingerie naomi licks her lips she's incredibly painfully hot okay so yeah guys um it men need to stop writing scripts no, men are not yeah, allowed they... to write about movies they're not allowed to write movies they're not allowed to write period they have lost their privileges it's just if you can't inject anything more than what really royally pissed me off with a lot of these was yes I, screenwriting's a visual medium i am a, you know i have about four screenplays sitting on my desktop it these were all you could tell the type of women that Hollywood, you know, the, you can you could see the sexism on the page. In terms of you know age and you know race and sex appeal, that's you know you either have the hot you know the hot female lead who you want to fuck or the you know the one who doesn't know how hot she is. Yeah, um, I, I'm just... It's frustrating. Well, I'm looking at another one. So so let's look at something like The Bodyguard, which the Whitney Houston character. It says, It's a bit of a shock to see that she is only about 30 years old, a young woman, not beautiful, not ugly. Unique only in that she is immediately interesting. <laughs> I mean, okay. Oh, God. Okay. I don't really understand. So a lot of these back and forths are like women have to be apologetic for how they look in the in the description. You know, they it's something about the fact that they do, I mean, really the strangest one that I was surprised to read is from fucking Showgirls. Showgirls. If you read the description of Nomi Malone, the Elizabeth Berkeley character in Showgirls, there is not a single description of her sexuality. Her name is Nomi Malone. She looks from a distance like a kid. She stands along the interstate, outlines in the shadows of the setting sun. She's got a big American tourister in front of her with a sign on it that says Vegas. The suitcase looks like it's been dropped from a plane or something. She's wearing a baseball cap, a worn black leather jacket, torn jeans, and time-kissed cowboy boots. Holy shit, Joe Esterhaas. I don't want to give you too much credit because that was the most expensive script ever paid for. But, oh my god, you didn't, you actually wrote, like, a woman that's not talking about, and I mean, Showgirls is all about showing off female bodies, Mm but good job! Well, that sets up the character. (laughs) That, that actually sets up the character. I I mean, and it it goes back to the discussion that I I was thinking about with, with Lucas and Spielberg and them discussing how to write the Marion character for Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they're going on and on for, like, lines endlessly about how she should have been some 12 year old girl that was in this relationship with an older guy and 
you're just like, wait, I feel like we really took a turn onto something that we didn't need to. Um, this is why. This is exactly, exactly why. So I think, I mean, I don't know if we can come up with one on the fly, but how do you guys think a male author would describe you? Oh, God. I, I don't want to go there because I don't want people to think I write that. <laughs> I think that's a good. Point. I I was I was thinking I was thinking of like okay so men don't write disabled women. I would love to actually know how Guillermo del Toro describes Sally Hawkins in Shape of Water. Like that would be really interesting. Um or or like any of the other wheelchair women that that the few that exist. I would love to know how they'd be described because I would be thinking like. There would definitely be a line that's like, she's cute, uh, uh, like, um, uh, dot, 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 for a girl in a wheelchair. <laughs> like, I would definitely get that. I would definitely get that. That or about my boobs. Like, that would be something. Well, um, I, I'm struck by the number of, of those descriptions that are that take pains to emphasize the fact that these are incredibly beautiful women that also don't know they're beautiful. It's that there's yes. there's that bizarre male obsession with like oh she's really hot, but she's like really down to earth about it and and you you can read between the lines and begin going like so basically she's a really hot woman you, that would still totally want to fuck you like that's what you're going for here. She's she's hot, but she has glasses and a yeah. Ponytail. It's it's very. <laughs> I mean, it does kind of. Reinforce. I think it's interesting to have that that dynamic though between you know the way that Nora Charles or Norma Desmond is being described, and the way that women are being described in like the 1980s and 90s screenplays, because that is mm -hmm. quite a contrast. And so, now some of it is because um, uh, there's a lot more uh, openness about being able to describe sexuality and 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 boobs and stuff like that. But at the same time, those descriptions, the description of Nora Charles or the description of Norma Desmond is far, you get a better sense of the character. And I also do want to say the fact that the people who put this together are just like, oh, these are great descriptions of female characters. Just like, are you fucking stupid? That is what blew me away, that that article was holding, especially, I, I hate to throw them under the bus, those James Cameron ones. Oh, they're were, horrible. And racist. Horrible. How are we holding up that, for, especially the first Sarah Connor description, as truly anything as amazing writing? You know, James Cameron is yeah. no Billy Wilder. Yeah, exactly. So our uh, last discussion point, something that I really wanted to talk about, Molly Ringwald, who is awesome, did an article for The New Yorker kind of looking back at Breakfast Club and John Hughes movies in the age of Me Too. And she was talking about how she was watching The Breakfast Club with her 10-year-old daughter at the time and didn't really know how to under, uh, explain to her daughter properly about the scene where Bender um, is looking up her skirt and there's obviously some implication that he's either touched her inappropriately or put his face near hers uh, in some inappropriate way but it led her to kind of look at how John Hughes wrote women and wrote her characters and um it led to her um to having a discussion with Haviland Morris who played um the the Carolyn character in 16 Candles and them having this really interesting discussion about how whether Carolyn is is essentially um raped in 16 Candles because she's so drunk that um, she can't consent. And Molly Ringwald was very concerned about that, but 
the the other woman was saying no you know she asked she she kind of put herself in that situation you know and you you can't really it's not it's not rape um i'm not saying she should have done it and that john should have written it that way but she didn't see it as anything to really be upset about and it's a really insightful piece i i love 16 candles i watch it every year on my birthday and i've been saying for for years that it's it's problematic um and i think most john hughes movies are problematic mm -hmm. whether it's your the stereotyping of asians or the absence of people of color or or the the kind of weird um kind of sexualization of of the character uh played by molly ringwald in those movies that he's uh seems to be very interested in um and this is something that that molly ringwald did research and looked at john hughes's writing for national lampoon because that's where he got to start and she kind of details a lot of disturbing writing that was that he was doing even before he turned to film she was looking at uh two writings he did called my penis and my vagina quasi magical realist stories written from the points of view of teenagers who wake up in the morning with different genitalia than they were assigned at birth uh she says quote the protagonist of my penis literally forces her boyfriend's mouth open to penetrate him and the male in my vagina is gang raped by his friends once they discover he has one the latter story ends with him having to use the money he saved for new skis on getting an abortion so yeah um Jesus. yeah i think we all kind of knew that john and i mean i i'm one of those that says pretty in pink annoys the crap out of me because i feel like ducky is a character that is essentially just like Patrick Bateman only you're supposed to like him um you know <laughs> yeah um so I mean I've, I've always kind of gone back and forth with with Hughes's movies and yet I still like them and I think the question she says at a certain point and I'm paraphrasing is oh I found it right here how are we meant to feel about art that we both love and oppose and she writes this really nuanced piece and I really loved it because yeah, I, I think we're all coming to, and we we always have to look back at the films from the past. You know, we're all classic film people. We look at movies from the '30s and '40s, and we see blackface, and we're like, okay, yeah, we have to reconcile that with the fact that we know that's not appropriate. But movies from the '80s, especially with the '80s coming back in such a big way now, mm -hmm. I think as women, we're noticing a lot more, and men are not noticing it as much, or at least willingly trying to ignore it how sexist and offensive some of those 80s movies are sex that was a really problematic time yeah for it. um what did what do you guys think of uh of molly ringwald's article i mean i i it's nice to see her engage because she had such a big role in all of that it's nice to see her engaging yeah. with that in a very intelligent and nuanced way and and acknowledging both sides saying saying that you know these are things that um, are very important to her, both as an actress and as a viewer, and that are also looking at it are very problematic. And I, I mean, the '80s was the backlash. The '80s was the reaction yep. against women's liberation, mm -hmm. against the sort of freedom of exactly. the 1960s and '70s. It was when women were being pushed back into uh, very regressive gender roles, and but there was also because of the sexual liberation of the sixties and seventies, there was a lot. There was more freedom in talking about sex and in representing sex on screen, um, and in representing very complicated issues. And and you've got a, a great deal of control with uh, by these men who don't write great female characters. I mean, I've never been a big John Hughes fan, and one of the reasons for it is because I came to those films very late, 
and by the time I actually began watching them, I was seeing all of those problematic things that were, and you know, the, the racism is blatant. The sexism is slightly less blatant, and it takes you a moment sometimes to really get what is going on. It's, it's a problem, and I, I think the, the kind of valorization of the 1980s is becoming incredibly dangerous in this period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think the thing that stands out to me more than any John Hughes element and it shouldn't bother me because I love it so much. But when I rewatched it last year, I really noticed it. So my issue with 16 Candles is, is that Jake Ryan is into Samantha because he said he's, he's looking for more than just a girl that wants to party. My problem is, is that he doesn't really know that. He knows that she would be willing to sleep with him and that she's young. So I was watching it this last time thinking, okay, so you know she worships you, and you're 18, so next year it's gonna be fucking illegal. <laughs> and I, I was just, I, th that was kind of where my head was at when I was rewatching it, like, oh god, he's gonna be that guy, isn't he, that just really wants, like, a young girl that's gonna be like, you're so awesome, because that's what I would have done. Uh -huh. <laughs> Um, oh god, yeah. It's See, and I'm trying to think of it cuz I've never been big on John Hughes. I mean, I've seen Breakfast Club a couple of times. I was, you know, seen Saint Elmo's Fire a few times. I have admittedly never seen 16 Candles <gasps> and I I'm a pretty in pink fan. Oh. That was That was the one that Team Blaine, Team Blaine all the is way. That, that's is wait, which one is that? Is that McCarthy or Andrew McCarthy? Okay, I see. <laughs> I was team Spader because I didn't like either of them. <laughs> I well, S Spader through other roles, but in that particular, yeah, T Blaine is just, it was always been my, and I'm sitting here trying to think of, I've never, I found Ringwald's article so fascinating because I haven't looked at it to, uh, to that extent yet. And I'd really be interested to dive more into that future future uh patreon thing if we, if we get yeah patrons we might consider exactly. doing a, a john hughes uh po centric podcast um either way so moving on this this leads us nicely into some questions um we got one from at ryan mcdermott he says in anticipation of the new the next sicario movie which you love i hate that that's a th <laughs> <laughs> um, which is worse having a terribly written female lead or having no female characters at all that's what I, I've been asked that question by a couple of people when I get really irritated about how women are written. Well, wouldn't you, would you rather we just have no women in this movie? Yes. For me personally, I would yes. rather have no women. Yeah. I would rather have no women than, than writing a woman that is reductive. Um, in, in terms of Sicario especially, you didn't have to pander and pat me on the head to make Emily Blunt's character a lady you could have just stuck it as a dude and I would have been perfectly fine. I guarantee you that character would not have irritated me as much as it did had she been a man. So yeah, for me, I, I think it's better to have no female characters at all. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah. I would, I would completely agree. My, the example that I go to are the Expendables movies, which I hate to admit I've seen them all. Because they're great. And... <laughs> Every time they try and throw a woman in there, it is such a fucking joke. Uh, the example I think of is uh, Charisma Carpenter is, I think, Jason Statham's boyfriend and one of them. I can't remember which one because they're all exactly the same. 
but it is you know your stereotypical abused you know you've got you've either got the abused girlfriend or wife waiting at home or you've got the latina sex object so I can just as easily imprint myself and, you know, watch these, you know, muscly men get out and do action for two hours. I don't need some poorly written female character. Well, and it, and it, I'd rather it be quality or not at all. And it brings back up the concept of, you know, what what is the theory they say? That women, we're slowly seeing it turn now, and I think it's not as good either. We're seeing this, it's always been this concept that women will go see movies regardless of whether there's women in them. But men will only go see movies if there's men in them. And now we're seeing a lot more pandering, this change to this idea that women won't go see a movie unless there is a woman. doesn't matter how that woman's written, but there needs to be a woman. And that's not how you solve that problem either. Well, and and, you know, I do think that there's a slight danger to answering this question of, of like, well, would you rather a poorly written female character or no female characters at all? It's just like, no, I want a well-written female character, and I want that to be a requirement of any writer, male or female, and any director, male or female. If you can't produce a well-written female character, and even multiple well-written female characters, uh, then you have no business being in a creative industry. Right? Thank you. So let's let's just, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I would rather go see an all dude movie with like that doesn't have any ridiculously sexist bullshit than you know having one female character where it's just like oh we're going to throw her in there to i don't know appease either appease the women or to turn the men on but yeah if you can't write good female characters by this point if you're incapable of that uh then you should not be a writer you should if you can't produce that in as a director then you should not be a director and that should be a requirement I concur wholeheartedly. Um, Hint, James Cameron. James Cameron is not allowed to make movies anymore. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Sorry, fanboys. He's done. You know what? I will will give Tarantino, of all people, a little bit of credit. He does produce, every once in a while, interesting women. Jackie Brown. Yeah, absolutely. I will give him that credit. Uh, At least least she's good. On the screen, she is good. Yeah, Jackie Brown, I... I, I'm wondering how long we can bring up Jackie Brown before we're just saying that that's an anomaly. Well, it is. <laughs> it is in a lot of yeah. ways. Well, see, and I, will, I, I will say on the other side of the coin, I watched Reservoir Dogs for the first time in a room full of women. Most entertaining experience I've ever had. And no no female characters <laughs> in there at all. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can watch Sicario and, and just have fun shitting on how horrible it is. But, like, why do I want to do that? I, I know why I want to do that, but I don't know why more people would want to do that. Um, Lauren, you had a question that you you asked on Twitter, and you wanted to ask us on here. So why don't you share uh, that? Yeah, I, I asked this on Twitter because there were things being passed around of, like, the, the worst, or the film that it would make film Twitter mad that you said you didn't like. And I was kind of like, you know what, we talk a lot about all of the stuff that we hate. Let's talk about something that we love. Let's give our, let's give each other recommendations. So my question was, um, what is a lesser known or a less watched film that you absolutely love? So a film, it can be by a famous director, it can be by an actor that you love, it can just be a, an obscure movie or one that you don't see talked about a lot, just anything that you like. I love this movie, people don't talk about it a great deal, I want other people to watch it. 
Um, I, I The two I always throw out are from a screenwriter that I feel was severely maligned by Hollywood and then went away and hasn't written anything good since. Um, but I, I love, I always champion the work of Lona Williams. Um, she wrote uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous and Sugar and Spice, which are two of my favorite movies uh, of all time. So Drop Dead Gorgeous is essentially a story about beauty queens in a small Minnesota town. And it's a black comedy um, about how they all start mysteriously dying. And it's got everybody good in it. It's got Kirsten Dunst. It's got a pre-Academy Award Allison Janney. It's got Kirstie Alley. It's got a, a bunch of women in it. It's a predominantly female cast. It's hilarious. I still quote it very frequently. And it's great. And then Lona Williams followed that up um, with Sugar and Spice, which is actually, speaking of Reservoir Dots, a heist film. It's a heist film about a cheerleader that gets pregnant, and so to get money, they decide to rob a bank branch at a grocery store, and things go wrong. And they actually, I was watching American Animals this week, and it was hilarious to watch the guys watch movies to try to figure out how to do a heist. And I was like, I've seen this movie. It's Sugar and Spice. And they watched Reservoir Dogs and Heat. And they were trying to figure out how to rob a bank. Um, and it's all really analytical. It's hilarious. Um, and the only reason it, um, I think Lona Williams isn't credited on the film is because she had her name taken off because she wanted it to be a really black comedy. And it came out right around the time of Columbine. Uh. And they didn't want... They, the, the argument was is that they didn't want to glorify violence. My argument is is that it's the fact that it's women, young girls committing violence mm. that, that they weren't really keen on. Um, and her movies are hilarious. They're really black comedies about the things that women will do, whether it's ripping each other apart or supporting each other and doing... She takes kind of plots that would be totally appropriate with men. Again, Sugar and Spice and American Animals have a lot of commonalities. Um, it's just one is about women, one is about men. And she's pretty much saying, like, why can't there be a heist film with women? Why can't they be cheerleaders and like to do their hair, but they can also rob a bank? And it's it's great. So if you haven't seen either of those movies, you you should just do a double feature and, and mourn what might have been. I know Lona Williams has worked since she, I think she did uh, Scout's Guide to the Apocalypse or something like that, um, which was not good. I think she co-wrote that. Um, but, but those two movies are just hilarious, and there's something that we don't see anymore at all. Awesome. Kim, what about you? Oh, this, this, I've been sitting here staring at my DVD <laughs> wall, kind of thinking about that. Um, first one that comes to mind, and I don't know how well, you know, watched it is, how read, because I know when I was rewriting my master's thesis on it, it was definitely hard to find research. And Kristen, I know we were just talking about uh, where the boys oh. are. Oh, yeah. That one, you know, that one I found, I wrote my master's thesis on that. And to me, it's such a fascinating film. And I just, I saw somebody else writing about it a few days ago. And I don't completely 100% gel with their reading. Kind of, I've always thought it was such a fascinating, you know, it's, teen movie 19 I believe it came out 19 and very end of 1960 very early 1961 and you've got four female leads um Dolores Hart Paul Apprentice Yvette Mamieu and Connie Francis and it's essentially these four girls escaping their midwestern college to go down to Fort Lauderdale for spring break and you've got I mean in 
Hollywood today, you can barely find, you know, it's virtually impossible to finance, you know, a movie with a female lead, let alone with four. And the treatment of sexuality I have always found absolutely fascinating. Um, the film opens up with Dolores Hart, who, you know, random factoid, eventually left Hollywood to become a nun. But um, promoting playing house before marriage is the term the film uses. And, you know, coming in the early 60s, which is essentially still, you know, we're not far off from the Eisenhower 50s. I had argued this film as a slow build up towards the feminine mystique, kind of looking at the changing female sexuality during this era of American popular culture. And between that and the use in my from every time I've watched it, the use of the female gaze in that movie is so frank. There, the the camera is very you know not shy at all about assuming the female gaze for that, especially with the George Hamilton character, little George Hamilton in his first film role, and you're you're looking at him from the especially the Connie Francis character, her eyes. And I mean, the film has a few throwaway, you know, the few throwaway lines about being a walking, talking, baby making factory. And the, the Paula Prentice character is definitely the most conservative and you still do see the conservatism of the early sixties, but it's definitely for me, a groundbreaking movie that I know is not talked about enough. Awesome. And it's playing a TCM film festival. This <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Kim and I will be there to go see it. So, yeah. Um, Lauren, do you have recommends? Uh, I, I, I want to know what Lauren recommends. I, I do. I actually, I've got a, I've got a bunch of them. Um, but I, I will just, I'll just narrow it down to two. Um, one of them is Young and Innocent. The, it's an Alfred Hitchcock film from, uh, it's one of his last British features. And it's based on a book called The Shilling for Candles by Josephine Tay, who is kind of one of the big um, female crime writers of the 1930s and 40s. It's a, it's, it's a brilliant film. It's very seldom talked about. Usually when people talk about his British period, they talk about um, 39 Steps, maybe, maybe The Lady Vanishes, maybe The Man Who Knew Too Much. Young and Innocent is very light. It's a, it's a wrong man narrative. It's basically about a young man who comes across the the dead body of a woman and is then accused of because he's the one that discovered her body he's accused of being the murderer he escapes and he winds up being helped by this um teenage girl who is like 17 18 years old and winds up falling in love with him and it's about the two of them basically rushing across the english countryside getting into all kinds of mischief and uh trying to find out trying to solve the, the case and figure out who the actual killer is in order to save his life. Uh, it's it's funny. It's Hitchcock had a great like gentle touch in his British films. There's a lot of screwball comedy elements to it. It's very light, um, and it has probably one of the greatest crane shots you are ever going to see. Like up until at least Touch of Evil, Orson Welles' Touch of Evil because it begins at the very top of a um, dance hall scene and it moves across, it's brilliant, it moves across the entire crowd up to uh, the bandstand and it actually zeroes in on the eye of the killer. It's amazing, like it's, it's wow. spectacular and it's, um, and it's just an immensely enjoyable film. The, the other film that I just thought of <laughs> 
uh, is just absolutely batshit insane. Theater of Blood with Vincent Price and Diana Rigg. I have that on my list to see. I've heard from like three other people that I need to Our, watch it. It's awesome. I will. It basically Vincent Price is a is a is a Shakespearean thespian who. Uh, in a flashback, we find out that he supposedly committed suicide after all after all of these critics panned his latest one-man Shakespeare show. The critics begin dying off in increasingly violent ways, all of them mimicking uh, deaths in Shakespeare. Diana Rigg plays his daughter. It's batshit. It's like it's a it's another kind of version of the um, uh, the abominable Doctor Fibes, which is a, actually a similar plot only it's the egyptian plagues or the biblical plagues this but this one is just really funny because you've got vincent price and diana rigg absolutely chewing the scenery for an hour and a half it gets increasingly violent and increasingly ridiculous some of the murders are just amazing and it's it's absolutely hands down one of my favorite horror movies one of my favorite vincent price movies and that is saying a lot yeah, that era Vincent Price. He's is great. So fun. He's great. I, I've been told that if I like Shakespeare, I need to see this. So. Yeah, really. Like there are some creative murders. I I need to I need to get to it. Um, I need I need to see that. The thought of him and Diana Rigg together just makes me marvelous. excited. Even to think they're about. marvelous. They're marvelous. Coral Brown is in it. Robert Morley is in it. Uh, Ian Hendry. Like it's a who's who of just all of these great character actors. Like eating the scenery for an hour and 45 minutes. It's awesome. Yes. So moving on to uh, reviews now, um, we have two, uh, A Quiet Place and Blockers. Um, Kim, you saw both, right? Yes. Okay, as I did. did I. Um, Lauren, do you have interest in either of these movies? I... I'm trying to integrate you somewhat into <laughs> these reviews. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been, a, I've been working and then I was at Tribeca yesterday. It's just like has not, has not happened. Uh, yeah, I very much want to see A Quiet Place. Blockers, I don't care that much about, but I do want to see A Quiet Place. Okay, so we're going to start with Blockers, which I think is, yeah, the lesser of the two. Um, Blockers is the mm -hmm. story of a group of young girls who want to lose their virginity during prom, but their parents decide to stop them. Um, it's written by, uh, it, it's written, credited by two men, but it's directed by Kay Cannon, and supposedly Kay Cannon rewrote a lot of the script, although she's not credited. Um, so I, I went and saw this with my mom, and my mom enjoyed it, and I said, I think that's the point. Um, I think this is a great mom movie. I think this is a good parents movie. I don't think this is something that teenagers who are questioning having sex are gonna really see. It's about as sex positive as I, I, I think it could have been. But it could have been more. My my biggest problem was is that there's a really fun 80s raunchy style comedy in here involving women that is completely cock blocked, I'm sorry, <laughs> by by the adults. Their story. I didn't care about these adults because the movie essentially uses them as these wacky millennials, I don't understand emoji speak and and all of that. Um I didn't really care. I, I thought the girls were very good, um, especially Gideon Adlon, who plays 
um, the girl who's kind of having a, a question about her sexuality, and the girl who plays John Cena's daughter is like my, a mini Maya Rudolph. She is just hilarious. And she was stunning. I thought she was, she's so great. And I mean, John Cena's good. Leslie Mann is just playing Leslie Mann. I found her to be terribly annoying. Um, I was essentially Ike Barinholtz the entire movie. He's the, he's the de like part-time dad who's just like, leave them alone. Okay. <laughs> like stop, stop bothering them. Let them make this decision. I was like, how is it? I'm, I'm listening to this guy and he's supposed to be the asshole who doesn't spend time with his kid. So I, I mean, I thought it was just really mediocre. I mean, it's fine if you have read uh, Movie Pass, but I was just, I was not a fan. Um, Kim, what did you think of it? I'm really similar. I thought they wanted this movie to be so much more than it actually was. You know, all the after all the word of mouth on it, it's, it's not that feminist, you know, American pie that the marketing seems to want to turn it into. Um, I'm completely with you. I think, and I think it was probably a detriment to the script that, yeah, the, the parents were the kind of the audience identification point you're supposed to you know they're the ones kind of dictating you know where the audience enters the story um completely agree i thought leslie mann was fine but she was leslie mann um it was john cena's show in terms of the adults he did absolutely he did great i'm not a huge fan but i i will i laughed i actually really i i am not familiar with ike Barinholtz's work that much um he intrigued the hell out of me in this. I just, I thought he found some interesting work in a very, a very interesting place and a, what could have been a very terrible character. And I was kind of really enjoying his character the entire time through. Um, like you said, the kids were totally fine. And the kids were fine. They could have used it more. There was so much unexplored territory that I think they just didn't get to. And that ultimately it was probably the script that, threw it off this could have been a very interesting very innovative groundbreaking movie but it's it's a solid teen you know it's a solid you know raunchy sex comedy not even that raunchy but it's not what the festival hype and the marketing wants it to be if you're like an, a like a parent under 40 and you want an r-rated take on like the stuff that you're probably gonna have to deal with like this is for you um as a single woman i was just like leave these kids alone goddamn! like you wonder why they hide shit from you um <laughs> yeah that was that was kind of my big takeaway but i will say that the girl who plays kayla and the boy who plays her date who looks like jack houston shrunk down um uh, i thought were the the two best parts of the movie um the guy with the man bun yeah he's he's uh he they were hilarious i thought they were the best part it'll it'll play well on dvd like that's see I, I liked the uh Gideon Adlon and her yeah date. Those, those two were Chad. that was my jam right Chad. there <laughs> yeah um yeah. so yeah Chad and his fedora exactly exactly <laughs> yeah um uh, again this is a movie that has a guy that has a, a teenage boy he's old older than the teenager but there is a teenage boy in this movie that I was just like god 17 year old me would have lost her shit <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's, there's that. The, the movie to go see this weekend, though, I think we all agree, is, is A Quiet Place. Um, yes. so I've seen this twice now. And... You're kidding. Yeah, I went, I took my mom to go see it yesterday, and I think our screening was on Wednesday. Um, so I've seen it twice, and I... I now, I have to ask, did that play as well the second time? Did it, how did it play the second time through for you? I did think that the, the, 
it's not necessarily a flaw in the script it's just it wasn't written in the script um those those things did stand out a little bit more um especially in terms of the character who's deaf played by Millicent Simmons but I still enjoyed the hell out of it I I think if anything I wasn't since I wasn't worried about what stuff was going to pop out I was able to look more at the familial dynamics so I mean the plot it follows a family it's in the future at some point um where monsters are able to hunt you by sound and so this family has to live in um silence so I I enjoyed the hell out of this um I I like Okay, so I'm late on the John Krasinski train. I saw 13 hours when it came out, and I was like, damn, that guy? What the <laughs> hell happened? He's hot as shit. Um, so, yeah, like, shock to my system. And he is just, like, even hotter in this movie, like, with his dad sweaters and his... Apparently, even though the world has gone to hell, he's still got, like, great product in his hair, and his beard is, like, <laughs> impeccably trimmed. Um, these are the things I noticed the second time around. Um, yeah, but... But I love the, the, the dynamics between the family. Um, I like the world building. Like, I love how they're anticipating any little sound. They play board games with felt pieces. You know, they, they try to limit any mm-hmm. sound that they can, um, things you wouldn't even think of. I thought that was really creative that somebody was, like, actually taking the time of, like, okay, how do we eat if we can't use knives and forks and plates? Um, you know, how do we cook things? How does one give birth to a child in a, in a land where you can't make noise? Um, although I think that the movie really should be advocating for birth control. I was like, look, Krasinski, Krasinski, you're hot. I get it. Okay. But like, we're living in a time where we shouldn't be screaming. So maybe we should get some, like, there's condoms at the store over there. Like we should maybe plan for that. Um, just saying. I know you're hot and all, and it would be very difficult, but come on. So, so I, I thought it was incredibly tense. I love the jump scares. I thought Emily Blunt and, and John Krasinski were great. But I really liked Millicent Simmons because my, my, I wrote an article about this. There's a real chicken and egg question to this movie. How does the use of them signing and, and using sign language, was that something that just comes up because that's the only way to communicate? Or is that because the girl is deaf? I'm going to say it's because, I mean, honestly, if you can't communicate with anybody because you can't talk, sign language is the only route to take. I mean, they could have hid the fact that that the daughter was deaf for at least 30 minutes. And it still would have made sense that they would be using sign language to communicate. Um, I thought that was really inventive. Um, yes, I think the ending uses it a bit as a, you know, magical, disabled bit of trickery but I really really enjoyed the hell out of this movie um and I think it's if we do come come a father's day like best fathers Krasinski's getting on my list because he's like the living embodiment Mm -hmm. of fatherly perfection um Kim what'd you think I I loved this movie I have not seen it twice yet but I commented to somebody as I was leaving I'm anxious to actually go see this and give them some of my money I I thought it was so inventive as hell. Just thinking about, and because I came off of Ready Player One the week before. Uh, yeah. And going from something that was as, as much clunky fucking exposition as you can get to a movie that has, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying there's maybe 10 lines of dialogue at most yeah. in a 90 minute movie. How much that 
you know, Krasinski directing and that creative team was able to convey with no dialogue whatsoever. It was truly, you know, for a horror movie, and especially for me to say, it was beautiful to watch. I thought that world building was absolutely amazing. Um, I loved the character work. Um, The scene that jumps out to me, and I know I called it out in my review, is that slow dancing scene between the Emily character and the Krasinski character. How, you know, you can say, they say so much with so, you know, a glance, you know, I mean, because most of the communication is sign language or a glance or an action. I think, I think movies with real life couples get so much shit you know, you automatically assume that they're going to be awful. But I think here is the best example of a, a real couple. It, wor- it worked. It completely, I mean, and maybe it was, maybe they needed that chemistry just, you know, because, but they worked so well together. And that scene where she just pops off the earbud and they dance with, you know, the shared earbuds. It was just, that was, you could tell what this couple has gone through, you, you know, what they're about to go through. It's completely it goes it's unstated but you can still tell what i think i what i like what you brought up is you brought up the simplicity you Mm -hmm. know i this is the second movie i've watched this week that has a very small amount of exposition in 90 minutes you have no idea how happy i was to see a 90 minute movie that is like 90 minutes on the dot and yeah you can you can kind of nitpick about the things that aren't explained but I was all for a movie that's just like, here's the plot, here's what's happening, go. I mean, it's exactly. Um, they were, I totally lost my train of thought, but exactly. The, it, the pacing was perfect. Um, I am a sucker for jump scares, so, you know, the horror worked well. I know it took getting into my car before my heart finally slowed down (laughs) from there i got i got suckered in hardcore to that you know the horror aspect of it and it worked so this was such a solid movie all around that i just i was amazed i was completely blown away by it and i can't say enough good things about it all i can say is noah jupe has made a career and i'm all for this out of playing the scared little boy who just like makes the most like heart-wrenching reaction faces in films between they i wrote my review i was like he started out playing a scared little boy in suburbicon and now he plays a scared little boy in this and yeah you're just like this poor kid (laughs) that and that dynamic between him and the millicent simmons character who i absolutely i love her she was for me she was the only good part in wonderstruck and to see her i yeah, and just the strength in that character and how they crafted that dynamic between her and her brother. It was just, and throwing Krasinski into there. I was, you know, giving no spoilers, but I was, I was a mess. Dude, I'm just saying, dad beard, it works. <laughs> it is a thing of beauty. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that, what do we have on tap for this week? Because um, I don't think the streak is going to continue. I have to go see Rampage tomorrow. See, I, I have not RSVP'd for Rampage. My I... best friend, who I love, really wanted to go. And I told her, mm-hmm. I'm like, she's like, well, what if we go get dinner beforehand? I was like, fine. Because usually the technique is like, I'll go if there's food. <laughs> um, so, right. yeah, I, I get to sit at an hour, 55-minute movie about The Rock and a fucking gorilla. Um, I'm not excited about that at all, but... She's my friend, so I'm not gonna... 
Not going to complain. This is this is saying absolutely nothing with how the movie's going to go. I'm getting such uh, Mighty Joe Young. A better way to Mighty Joe yeah. Young vibes, and I'm like, I don't have the strength in me to go if what I think might happen to that gorilla happens to that. I gorilla. was like, Mighty Joe Young had Bill Paxton. You are not Bill <laughs> Paxton, Dwayne. Okay, God. <laughs> And I know the original, there's an original, don't send me messages being like, actually, there's an original film. I know, I've seen it. I like the remake better. I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. Um, so yeah, that's that's all for this week. I'm going to save my thoughts on Zoolander, which I did watch. I'm going to save it for when Karen's here, because I know she has uh, expectations. So yeah, that'll be, that'll be next week. But thank you to the patrons that made that happen, as well as a couple other things that are going to be coming in the next couple of weeks. Um, you can find us a multitude of places. You can find us at uh, citizendame.podbean.com. You can find us on Spotify. We are on Spotify now, as well as iTunes. If you'd like to help the podcast out and you don't want to put uh, money down, you can just send us an iTunes review or a rating. That would be great. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at CitizenDamePod. We also have our official website, which is CitizenDamePod.com, where you can find our Citizen Dame top fives uh, as well as some reviews anything else um this week we're going to be doing our citizen dame five truth or dare edition if you liked our uh april fool's joke last week then you hopefully will like this um i also have a review going up uh for the film liberated which is on netflix as well as some interviews with the director and the cast and kim has feminist fridays uh every friday uh looking at classic film so that's on our website. And if you'd like to help the podcast out, you can check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash citizen dame. Uh, we did just hit our goal the other day uh, of, I think we're at, what, 2025? 20, 20, 23. 23. Um, so we're going to be posting some uh, exclusive content. Um, I had to watch Zoolander. I'm also going to be writing about movie coats, and Kim and Karen are going to be live tweeting Eyes Wide Shut and The Boy on their Twitter accounts. I think uh, Kim's going to do hers next week, I think is what we agreed on. I think. Uh, 16th. The 16th. Um, so you can follow her on. I believe. Yeah, she'll be, we'll be promoting that as it comes up. And if you do become a patron, now you can listen to our March Madness episode that we recorded uh, at the two-hour fest of us discussing our loves for certain celebrity men and arguing over who should have the title of ultimate celebrity boyfriend. Um, there's all sorts of crazy shenanigans and special guests that pop up. It does not go the way you yeah, would the think answer it will surprise not. you. Spoiler, spoiler <laughs> alert, Justin Thoreau does not do very well. Um, so our mascot kind of, kind of uh, sucks. So Maybe he shouldn't have made mute fucking mute oh my god i had to watch zoolander though so i feel like he's just like at this point our relationship is akin to girl on a train okay and it's just like <laughs> killing me inside um emily blunt and i understand each other now um so yeah there's that so you can listen to all of that on patreon uh, we also have some other stuff we'd love to be able to to hit some more goals offer some more things so um if you like us definitely get a Get us at least two more dollars, guys. Just saying. I mean, there has been talk about, and I do believe Karen is going to be starting a, a column on the uh, the website looking at every Tom Cruise movie because of Patreon. So there's been talk about forcing me to watch Justin Thoreau movies uh, in chronological order. I really don't want to do this, but 
Y'all seem to really like paying me for it. So, I mean, there you go. So, yeah. If you're if we're getting paid for it. I, exactly. I will prostitute myself for Patreon dollars. Another t-shirt that we are working on. <laughs> so, uh, you can also find us on our individual Twitter feeds. I am at journeys underscore film. Uh, Karen is at Karen M. Peterson. Lauren, where are you? I'm at LH Business. And Kim? At KPierce624. So hopefully next week the the full Citizen Dame group will be back. But until then, we are the Citizen Dames, and we'll talk to you all next week. Military fighting a massive invasion. Total devastation. We have to protect them. Me. I promise. Tom Cruise, really. It's just false. Anyone who says they like Tom Cruise, anyone who says they like Tom Cruise is just lying.